It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. Yes, folks, that was not the lovely Nurse Amy's dulcet voice that you heard. It was me, but she's not here for a good cause. She's directing our team at the mighty warehouse of mystery to put as many pandemic kits together as she can until the supplies run out. Just part of our mission to put medically prepared people in every family. But don't feel bad for me. I have my other mate, the famous African Grey Parrot, T.D. Bird. Yep, you just heard T.D. Bird here in the room today. T.D.'s been, been with me since she was an egg about 33 years ago. Wow. And wouldn't you know it, we didn't even know it was a she until she magically laid eggs at about age 30. So if you hear a squawk or whistle like what you just heard, pay no attention. So friends and neighbors, welcome to the special edition. This is a very special edition of the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Podcast, an igloo of honesty in a cold and ignominious world. Oh, I forgot to mention who will be ranting at you today. That is me. I'm Joe Halton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, founder of Survival Top 50's Reader's Choice website, doomandbloom.net, your source for both medical education and an entire line of the best medical kits on the interweb. If you just returned from your year-long attempt to find the Northwest Passage, you know what? You may have noticed we changed our format a little bit. You're going to hear more frequent, shorter shows to go straight to the information you're looking for without a lot of housekeeping up front. Now, some of the stuff you hear on the shows outside the conventional medical wisdom, we, however, have active medical licenses. We'd like to keep them so... All information and opinions voiced on the Survival Medicine Podcast are for entertainment purposes only. They do not represent medical advice or anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. We strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. Do not listen to a darn thing we say. Or maybe you should. I don't know. I have my opinions. Now, unless you just got back from a trip to Mars, boy, you just, you've just you been traveling a lot, it seems, you probably know that there's an epidemic going on in China. I first reported on it briefly in my article, A New Pneumonia, on January 7th, 2020, where there were only 60 known cases of this infection of, quote, unknown origin. It appeared to be viral in nature. Viruses are tiny, much more bacteria, and barely meet the definition of a living organism as it has to enter the cells of a host to actually activate and reproduce. Once it's hijacked the cell's machinery, however, it can produce a lot of little viruses that enter the bloodstream, often bursting the cells of the host and killing the host cell in the process. The physical symptoms that are caused depend on the type of virus and, of course, the cells that are infected. I first reported sometime, I guess, in December in Wuhan, China, a city of 11 million people. By the way, that is the seventh largest city in China. 11 million people, seventh largest city. Uh, that's in Hubei province in mainland China. The new virus appears to belong to something called the coronavirus family. Coronaviridae is a family of viruses with little projections that might remind an extremely imaginative person 
of a crown or the corona of the sun. The genetic material for this virus is not DNA. It's RNA, a ribonucleic acid, and that makes this virus more likely to have mutations occur. Now, why is that? RNA viruses generally have very high mutation rates compared to DNA viruses, which leaves open the possibility of genetic mistakes occurring a lot more frequently in reproduction. When I say mistakes, I mean an imperfect copy of the RNA genetic material is made as the virus reproduces. In most cases, well, these new mutations don't really cause much to happen. But in some cases, well, it can do something. It might hinder the virus, but just as often, the mutations improve the ability of the virus to succeed in some ways, such as letting it multiply faster or making it harder to kill. Each person who becomes a new host has the potential, therefore, to become patient zero for a new improved virus. Now, several coronavirus strains have made the news this century. A couple of examples are Sudden Acute Respiratory Syndrome, or SARS, in Asia, and Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, in, well, the Middle East. Uh, now, SARS killed about 800 out of 8,000 victims with the disease. The outbreak lasted about six months or, no, or so. Untreated MERS infected thousands also, maybe a few less than 8,000 though, but it had a 35 to 45% death rate. Now, so far, the new coronavirus named 2019 NCOV has sickened more than 17,500 people and killed 30, not 36, 362 in just a few weeks. And those stats are as of February 3rd, 2020. That, of course, is, if you can believe, statistics from the Chinese government. In reality, I'm sure the numbers are at least twice that or more. Since the worst outbreaks have caused shutdowns of the cities involved, I heard, for example, that Wuhan is now a ghost town. But this ghost town has 11 million people in it hiding in their homes. How many of these people are sick but are scared to present to a hospital well, probably overrun with infected patients. I would think quite a few. The 362 deaths so far represent a little more than about a 2% death rate for this disease. Now, 2% doesn't seem like much, but the death rate from the Spanish flu 100 years ago was also a little more than 2%. And that virus went on to infect a third of the world's population, which was about 2 billion at the time, and caused 50 to 100 million deaths. Now, you may have heard that 2019 NCOV was first found in some of the live markets common in China. They actually have markets where there are live wildlife, like that bird right there. And what they do is you pick an animal and they kill it and slaughter it and give you whatever food comes out of it right at that moment. One video I saw, I actually had somebody eating bat soup. And sure enough, bats are the original reservoir for most coronaviruses. So guess what? Most likely that happened somewhere in that market. A mutation appeared that allowed a bat to infect other animals perhaps and then go on to infect humans. That's a big step mutation-wise, but it doesn't mean that the same mutation will make it easy to pass from human to human. 
However, what's known is that it can happen and it's quite likely it's happening right now. Human to human transmission is very apparently very common and increases the transmissibility of an infection. It's doing, that's what it's doing here. So what does transmissibility of an infection actually depend on? It depends on something called the R0 number. The, <laughs> the bird said uh, uh, R is the letter R and the naught is actually a zero that is uh, placed, I guess, down where a comma would be. And so that R0 tells you the average number of people in a previously infection-free area that would catch a disease from one contagious victim. So you have one person with an infectious disease, you put them in the middle of a community of people who have never been exposed to it, and you see how many people wind up getting the infection. If the number is one or less, well, the virus will likely peter out over time. But the Spanish flu, for example, infected two or three people for each contagious victim. So it spread. So did Ebola, about two people. and But measles, wow, measles was a lot more contagious. If you were exposed to somebody with measles or a community was, an average of 18 people, 12 to 18 people, wound up getting infected. This virus in China's uh, cities right now, its RO number is about the same as SARS or MERS. That's about three to four or so. And that's plenty high enough to cause a pretty impressive epidemic, which is exactly what it's doing. In most cases, people exhibit mild symptoms about two to 14 days after exposure, and that's something we call an incubation period. The disease itself is similar to a cold or a mild flu. Most people get better after a week or so, they say, but about one in five, actually a pretty high number, actually get very sick. I mean, there are not a lot, of, not that number of people that would get sick after having the flu to get to the point that they get pneumonia and respiratory failure. The big issue appears to be that people can be contagious before they experience symptoms. That's not terribly unusual for a viral infection, but without the ability to know who's infected, well, many, many people can pass the disease on and not even know it. And that just doesn't even, doesn't even take into account the effect on and the strain on a medical infrastructure, especially one that may not be as well developed as ours. So should you panic? The answer is no. Right now, the coronavirus epidemic is 99.5% in China, and there are no community-wide outbreaks that have occurred outside its borders. Matter of fact, the grand majority of folks that have wound up getting the infection in other countries didn't get the infection in other countries. They got it in China, and they traveled back to their home country and started having symptoms, well, two to 14 days later in that incubation period. So that's good news, at least for now, because no traveler from China to the U.S. has proven to be patient zero in a community-wide outbreak in a lot of other countries. When a community has a crisis, by the way, in the United States and other countries, nearby municipalities rush to help out. Now, that's not something that just goes for wildfires, but it also goes for epidemics and pretty much just about any other disaster. The situation that concerns me the most is if many communities are hit and have to direct their resources inward to their own people 
and not be able to help others. And that is where society gets taken to the brink. We're a long way from that right now. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a plan of action. There's no testing labs for the new coronavirus outside of the CDC at present, so your local family doctor is probably going to send you to the hospital. The problem is if the hospital is already crowded, if outbreaks occur here in the U.S., well, you may have to work to keep your family safe without much help. And it, I know it's yet unclear how bad this outbreak will get outside of China's borders, but some simple preventive measures are going to be worth much more than a pound of cure, for which, well, actually there is no cure at the moment for this disease. So what, that is, what does that mean? That means you have to use non-pharmaceutical interventions. That includes some changes in your lifestyle in a community-wide epidemic. What you have to do is something called social distancing. This means staying away from large crowds, not going to work if you're sick or if a lot of people there are sick, keeping kids home from school, especially if there are kids that are sick with this thing at school, and isolating sick people in your family from healthy ones. You have to avoid close contact. That's basically the thing. With people that are possibly sick or people that are in high-risk situations, you don't want to have a lot, clo lot of close contact, especially if you don't have personal protection gear on. Close contact is defined by the CDC as being within six feet or two meters uh, of somebody that has the coronavirus infection or in a closed room with them for an extended period of time. An unprotected person that actually has direct contact with infectious secretions of a patient, let's say being coughed on, if somebody coughs on you, well, that also qualifies. They don't have to cough directly in your nose or your mouth or your eyes to give you the infection, by the way. They could very easily cough from six feet away and droplets may land on your shoe and then you hold your shoe as you remove it and then touch your face. All sorts of crazy things can happen. You can just wipe your shirt that somebody had coughed on and touch your face. That's the problem is people touch their faces all the time. Do not touch your eyes, nose, and mouth. You'd be very surprised at how many people just can't help but touch their faces throughout the day. Just watch any individual for, oh, I don't know, a half hour or so, and you'll see them touch their face absentmindedly various times. The best policy, of course, is to wash hands frequently and carry hand sanitizer whenever you're touching surfaces. And that's so important. You really have to make sure that you're doing a lot of hand washing, frequent hand washing during the day. When should you wash your hands? Just about any time. Honestly, if you look at the list from the CDC, I've got it here somewhere, um, about how often you should wash your hands. Is this it? Oh, yep, this is it. After coughing or sneezing, while caring for the sick, before, during, and after you prepare food, before eating, after using the toilet, please, uh, when hands are visibly dirty, and after handling animals or animal waste. Wow, that could be a lot of hand washing. And indeed, the more you wash your hands, the better off you are. Should you use soap or hand sanitizer? If your hands are visibly dirty, definitely use soap and water, not hand sanitizer. Uh, if your hands look clean, well, you can use hand sanitizer. The problem is, is that nobody uses enough. You got to use a whole bunch of it to make sure that it totally wets 
the front and the back of your hands in between your fingers, all of that, that's really important. And when you wash your hands with soap and water, remember 20 seconds. If you sang the happy birthday song twice in a row, that's about 20 seconds. So masks, masks and protective gear, that's going to help you avoid infection. But chances are you're going to touch a lot of areas at work, school, or home that have been touched by a lot of other people. If you go to a grocery store and you handle the fruit and say, well, let's say I want this apple or I want this melon. Well, you know what? You may not have been the first person to actually handle it. And guess what? When you get to the cashier, the cashier is going to be handling your food as well. And all of this increases the number of exposures to people that possibly have the virus. So, or, And this doesn't just count for coronavirus. It counts for just about any virus whatsoever. So things have been touched by a lot of people that you may not even know about. This virus, by the way, appears to live on surfaces for longer than the average microbe. So work surfaces should be disinfected pretty often. Uh, when I say work surfaces, I also include computer keyboards, and especially if you're used by more than one person. Other surfaces that could be contaminated include, of course, your clothes, uh, kitchen counters, things like that. For masks, uh, supply of N95 masks are better than the standard surgical masks, but are not 100% effective. Uh, they do help, however. The funny thing is that the coronavirus is actually smaller than what the mask is supposed to be able to block, but it is an effective method of having some protection. And the reason why I say that is because when they tested vict uh, medical workers that worked with MERS victims, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, they found that people that used N95 masks while caring for the sick wound up getting infected much less often than people that did not use masks or use standard surgical masks. So that is some hard scientific data that the N95 mask will work even if the coronavirus is smaller than what an N95 usually can block. Uh, it's not just important to have proper masks, but it's important to know how to put them on, how to achieve a proper fit, take them off safely. That's very important. Yeah, you can find, of course, my recent videos on face masks, part one and part two on the DR Bones Nurse Amy YouTube channel. Uh, part two actually has me demonstrating how to properly place fit and remove masks. But you also have to know how to do more than properly put on masks. You need to know safe ways to put on and take off coveralls, face shields, gloves, and much more. Now, articles on the proper procedure of doing some of these things can be found at doomandbloom.net and also in our latest book, Alden's Antibiotics and Infectious Disease. The thing is, is that the book is about antibiotics mostly, fish antibiotics and things like that, and bacterial, not viral disease, because viruses are not cured by antibiotics. But you will find the donning and doffing method, the putting on and taking off of this stuff, in a section in the back of our book. You'll also find my thoughts on putting together an effective epidemic sick room in the book, something that's very important. But you also find these things on our YouTube channel at doomandbloom.net. Well, that's about all the time we have for this week. We do have a lot more to tell you about news that's going on about coronavirus and, of course, a lot of other medical problems that we always talk about on the Survival Medicine Podcast. But... There's a lot of interesting stuff, new treatments that possibly may have an effect or, or may not. We still don't know yet 
with this new viral epidemic. So stay tuned to the Survival Medicine Podcast with Joe and Amy Alton. We will keep you up to date, I promise. See you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family medical bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did.